Genesis 46, and we'll try and get through 47 as well. Not too many cross-references, but it's just a good story. It's a good, good story that proves out God's faithfulness, how he's got the end all figured out before we even get there. So 46, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in, a, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And so he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. And then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in carts, which Pharaoh had sent to them to carry them. And so they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons and his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob his sons, and his sons who went down to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak and Palu and Hezron and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jamuel and Jamin and Ohad and Yakin and Zohar and Shaul and the son of the Canaanite woman. The, son, uh, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola and Puva, Job and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered and Elon and Jalil. These were the sons of Leah whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Haram uh, with his daughter Dinah also. And all these persons, are, uh, his sons and daughters were 33 by Leah. And the sons of Gad were Ziphion and Haggai, Shuni, Esban, Eri, Eridai, and Erali. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Isui, Beria and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Beria were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim whom Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela and Becher, or Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naam, uh, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Muppim, and Huppim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan was Hushim, and the sons of Naphtali were Jazeel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilim. 
These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons, wives, were uh, uh, 66 persons in all. In the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob went to Egypt were 70. And then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, and so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And he presented himself, and he fell on his neck, and he wept a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all the things that they have. And so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you say, Your servant's occupation has been with the livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Interesting. Well, sorry about those names, um, but I had to read through just to hit them. Uh, There's a few in there that are of interest, but you can pick out from those names the 12 sons, direct sons of Jacob through Leah, and then her handmaid and Rachel and her handmaid. And um, again, remembering the story, Joseph was the one who had the coat of many colors who Jacob loved. But um, pulling up at Beersheba, in the first verse, um, is right at the southern edge of Israel. I don't know if they want to throw up the map now just so you get a look at it. Um, but this is the same Beersheba where Abraham uh, made that covenant or where, where, uh, with Abimelech when Abraham went to Abimelech and he, uh, who was over in the Philistine area and he came back over to, uh, to Canaan and ended up living in... Uh, in uh, Hebron, Mamre, but uh, in, he made that covenant at Beersheba. And in, in Genesis 22, he actually ends up dwelling in Beersheba. It's also in Genesis 26 where Isaac had offered those, um, the sacrifice to God when, again, he was um, over in the Philistines because of some famine. And um, if you remember, just like his father Abraham, they lied to the Philistines about their wives, Sarah and, uh, and Rebecca, saying that they're, they're sisters, and for both of them, and here's Abimelech, the same guy, and you'd think he'd be seeing through this by now, but uh, remember how then they eventually became very, he had to leave. Abimelech says, get out of here, Isaac, you know, if you're going to be doing that, and he moved on, and he, as he went along, he dug up the wells that his father Abraham had dug, the Philistines had filled them back in. But the, the herdsmen from the Philistines would say, you know, keep going, you're, you're stepping on our toes here. And it wasn't finally until he got to Gerar, which is just a little ways away from Beersheba, and uh, he stayed there and finally, and then he goes up, Isaac goes up and sacrifices to God at Beersheba. Now God speaks to Israel, Jacob, at Beersheba to confirm and reassure. And in verses uh, 2 and um, Three, he says, um, you know, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob says, here I am. 
And so he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. I am God, the same I am that he will later, when Israel is coming back, uh, is at the end of their captivity in Egypt, and the Lord raises up Moses, and Moses comes before the burning bush, and he says that same thing, I am that I am. It's, uh, the English language has the am, otherwise it's just ah, I. I am the one that exists. Um, again, uh, the one true God, the almighty God, the everlasting God and creator of all things, as in, there's nobody else. There are no other gods that exist. They're all false gods. They're all doctrines of demons. They're all idols that you carve out with your hands. And if Pharaoh can get his wizards to do something, later we'll study uh, where Moses threw down his rod and it became a snake and, and devoured the snakes of Pharaoh. It's because they conjured that with, with demons. And, uh, you know, demons are defeated. They're not God. They're created beings. And so he is the one true God, the only God that truly exists. And um, he says to him, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, it was a big move to leave his homeland where his fathers had sojourned. And that was the land of promise. Jacob was there, but the famine came along. And, and now he's learned that Joseph is, is down there. And so, but he says, now it's time to go down. And, you know, don't fear don't be dismayed. The word they're afraid is, you know, don't be terrified. Don't be dismayed. There is nothing for you to fear. And now, if you want to turn to Psalm 46, it's interesting. This is what the Lord said to Jacob specifically. And when, when David talks about the God of Jacob, it's in that context of not being afraid. And he writes... Psalm 46, as David was, you know, facing those nations that are now surrounding Israel uh, when they're in the land. And um, he needs refuge. He needs somewhere to go. And he's thinking back, you know, God was with Jacob. God took care of Jacob. He provided for him. He protected him. And so just 11 verses, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, that one God, the only God. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. And he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. He's our very present help. He's present. He's right here, present with us. You know, it's hard for us. We, he, we, we worship and serve and, and love a, an invisible God. And so it's just something that seeing is believing. 
And that's what comes natural to us as we go about our daily lives. But by faith, and also by his Holy Spirit bearing witness in our hearts and minds when we come to the Lord, we know he's there. We know he's real. We've been born again. We, it's not necessarily a feeling as much as it's a love and a burning and something that's in us that we know that we know that we know. And sometimes people say, well, what does he look like? Well, I don't know what he looks like, but I know his love, and I know what he's done for me, and I know what my future is. And um, his very present help, and it says, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God who is above all the different armies of heaven, and uh, he, he holds all this in his hands. He's the Lord of it all, Lord being master, Lord being the preeminent one. And God of Jacob is our refuge. And so he's, he's looking at the, the back to Jacob at this time in his life, David is, because Jacob was told, don't fear, I'm with you. And uh, God does go with him. And he says in, uh, back in Genesis, <clears throat> He goes on to say in just the first four verses when he speaks to him, I will make you a great nation there. Well, this is where it's going to happen. Remember the promises, Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob, the promises of descendants, promises of, of uh, becoming a great nation, innumerable, more than the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And um, here he says, this is where it's going to start to happen. This is where I'm going to begin this that your descendants are going to multiply. They're going to grow innumerable as promised. This is where I continue to keep my covenant. I'm going, you know, I will make of you a great nation there, Jacob, down in Egypt. And then he says, um, you know, you're not alone. I am with you. When, when you go down, I am with you to go to Egypt. You don't have to go and fend for yourself. I am with you. And that's so important for us to remember, too. At this particular juncture, Egypt is usually referred to as the old life for the believer. We come out of Egypt and we come into the promised land. We leave behind the world and our, our sinful lives and, and we, we separate ourselves from that and come out and we come to the, to the hope of, of eternal life. We come to the promised land. But in this particular situation, uh, Jacob really is still sojourning. They're not done sojourning, really, until they, they come back into the land after 400 years and four generations, like he said to Abraham. But uh, they're still sojourning right now. Jacob, you know, at the end here, he says that, you know, Joseph is going to close your eyes. You're going to go down there. You're going to see Joseph. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. But Joseph's going to close your eyes. In other words, he'll be there when you pass away, when you, when you move into uh, into eternity and um, so he's he's saying that's this is where it's going to happen this is where I'm going to keep my covenant blessing and there I'm going to make you a great nation and you're not going to be alone you don't have to fend for yourself I'll be with you but then he says and I'm going to bring you up again well that's the promise remember he was going to he said to Abraham again those 400 years four generations and I will bring you up again uh, from Egypt this was the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and, and already now promised to Jacob, but here he confirms it. And just real quick, we can look at a few verses, um, going just back a few chapters to Genesis 27, so that you... What, what's basically happening here is the men, the three men, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are now becoming a nation. 
now it's becoming a tribe of nations, um, or a nation of tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. And this is a beginning. This is the birth of a nation, even though it was promised, even though it was established back here. So in Genesis 27, uh, 28 and 29, Therefore may God give you the dew of heaven when Isaac was blessing Jacob. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and a plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Am I in the right one? Yes. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed everyone who curses you and blesses is everyone who blesses you. This is the, um, the blessing of Isaac on Jacob. And then in, in chapter 28, 3 and 4, here it is. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham and you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land which right now you're a stranger in, which God gave to Abraham. And then in the next uh, part of the chapter, 13 and 14 verses there, it's, uh, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you'll spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you again, and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And he's talking to Jacob. Well, Jacob went down, and Joseph closed his eyes, and he died there in Egypt. But now the 12 tribes remain, and they become a nation. And so, But the confidence that he gave Jacob to go down in, I will be with you. And... Um, you know, because he was going to Egypt, and he was he was not going to come out of there, but his descendants would. So, in back in forty six um, of Genesis chapter forty six, just verses five through seven, and then onward, um, Jacob comes to Egypt. They they get their wagons that Pharaoh sent, and they load everything up and bring all their animals and all their descendants. In uh, verses eight through twenty seven, I I did a wonderful job of or mispronouncing all those names for you. And that's what I do best is mispronounce things. Um, Israel's descendants, the sons of Leah, Zilpah, her maid, Rachel, and Bilhah, her maid, 12 in all, but that's going to change. Uh, next week, if the Lord tarries, we get to chapter 48. If you want to just take a quick look at verse 5, not to kind of be a spoiler, but Jacob, when he is blessing his sons, he says, and now your two sons, Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. By then, now all of a sudden, Jacob's got 13 sons. But for now, in chapter 46, he has the, 40, uh, the uh, 12 sons, and he comes down, about 70 people, and they come down, and I didn't know if you guys had saw that map or not, where they come down from... Beersheba down around to Goshen. Um, Goshen is a, uh, a fertile land. At the time, it was the best of it. An area in there, in that area called Ramses. We'll see that here in chapter 47. 
But Jacob said, it's enough. All the glory of Joseph and all the, the famine's been relieved. Um, all of the, just looking at verses 28 through 30. Um, you know, Jacob sends Judah before him to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they come to the land of Goshen. Joseph makes ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel who presented himself to him. And he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. You know, he just got to where there's plenty of food. Uh, he's, he's just gotten to where he's seeing his family now and they're all going to be together. And yet he says, what it was that was most important to me now that I've seen your face. He says, now let me die since I've seen your face because you are still alive. If you go back to chapter 43, verse 32, or I'm sorry, back to 45, just 45, I'm sorry. 45, verses 26 through 28, the last few verses before where we started this morning. Um, you know, they told Jacob, they came back, gave the report to him that Jacob, uh, that Joseph was alive. Look at what he says. And they told him, saying, Joseph is so alive, he's not only that, he's governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to him, and when they saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel says, that's enough. It's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. That was, that was what was all he needed. He wasn't all interested in, the, in the, you know, f getting back to uh, beating the famine and, and finding food and all of that. Um, that's what was important to him. And that's what revived him and uh, gave him his life back and revived his life when he found out that Joseph was alive. And now he sees him and he sees his face, sees that he's still alive. Now I can die. It'll be a few more years before he does, but um, that's more coming up later. So all of that glory and all that salvation from the famine was not important to him. And so in verse 31 through 34, Joseph asks, you know, when you guys go and see Pharaoh, I'm going to go before Pharaoh, I'm going to explain everything to him. But when you guys go before Pharaoh, don't tell him you're shepherds. It turns out they ended up saying it anyways, but um, because shepherds are detestable there, it says, what, what's the actual word? An abomination. The King James, I think, says loathsome. Loathsome, you know, just that a hatred. And it's a, just a beginning to be a glimpse here. But he says to him, you know, just, just tell them you keep animals. Don't tell them you're shepherds. And so uh, as they do come before him, uh, we'll see in chapter 47. Now secular history, um, I guess, shows pretty significantly and fairly reliably that long before Joseph, long before any of this, probably way back when Abraham was sojourning or began to sojourn, maybe when Abraham was still up in Haran, there was shepherd kings down in that southern area across Saudi Arabia, across uh, uh, even uh, Moab and Philistine area and all of that. Um, and uh, that whole area was full of shepherds and there were shepherd kings. And at one point, I guess, they came through and conquered the Egyptian delta for the fertile land. 
and as a result, um, there was quite a bit of animosity and to the day that uh, there was still possibly some of those guys were still hanging around. Well, that being the case, um, the Egyptians had no taste whatsoever for shepherds. Remember back when they ate with Joseph? You know, they didn't even want to eat with these Hebrews because they were shepherds and it was an abomination, you know, to eat with them. And I don't think that had a lot to do with needing napkins. I think it had a lot to do with just who these guys were. And uh, so just an interesting side note, but it makes note of it in scriptures twice how the Egyptians thought of shepherds and thought of eating with the Hebrews an abomination and loathsome, and they hated it. And it's a little glimpse into what begins to take place as we get into Exodus. We'll see there comes a, a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And again, not to be a spoiler, but the, the hatred grows towards the Jews and the Hebrews there in the land of Goshen among the, the uh, Egyptians, especially as they grow in number to, to begin to outnumber the Egyptians and they start to fear for that. They'd been conquered once before by these shepherd kings. So, Genesis 47, Then Joseph went, told Pharaoh, and said, My father, my brothers, their flocks, their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen, and he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What's your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds. Oops. Both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land and let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men from among them, make them the chief herdsmen over my livestock. And then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And, Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days and the years of my pilgrimage, my pilgrim, pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And, and so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them the possessions in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. And now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought, bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. And then Joseph said, We'll give you livestock, and I'll give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. And so they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the cattle and the herds and for the donkeys. And thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. 
And when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has all of our herds and livestock. There is nothing left in, our, in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land, by us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die. The land may not be desolate. And then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them to the cities from one end of the border of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests did he not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate the rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have, brought, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth, 20%, to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food. As for those for the households, as for the food for your little ones. And so they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made a law over all the land of Egypt to this day, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, and they grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, Please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So um, they come, they settle in the land of Goshen. The famine grows worse. But in the beginning, he takes his five brothers before Pharaoh. And like I said, what's the first thing they do? Well, we're shepherds. The thing he didn't want him to say. Now, it's a little different because, again, it had to do possibly with these, uh, or likely really with these other Pharaoh or um, shepherd kings that were troubled to the Egyptians. Uh, nevertheless, Pharaoh didn't seem to mind uh, that that's what they were. I think they kind of knew anyway. And uh, he said... Uh, you know, that's what we do. We're shepherds. And so then Joseph presents Jacob to Pharaoh. And Jacob describes his pilgrimage as, uh, the days of his pilgrimage, as few and evil, it says. And you've got to think uh, back on Jacob's life. Why would he say his days were few and evil? You know, beginning from, from the start, he was the little brother with Esau, and he managed by tricking to get that birthright. And then he managed to uh, uh, go up and spend, what, 20 years, 21 years with Laban because Laban tricked him. All the while, he's, he loved Rachel, and Rachel died early, young, giving birth to her second son. 
And uh, then Joseph is taken, and he's given for dead. And then the, the famine comes, and they want to take Benjamin. Throughout Jacob's life, you know, he sojourned. He was a pilgrim. He knew this land wasn't his. They were going to come back to possess it. And uh, unlike Abraham, who had peace with all of his neighbors, you know, Jacob had strife. He had struggles, and he was still wrestling. And indeed, God blessed him. Indeed, God spoke to him. And, um, you know, he, he, Jacob was still kind of thinking of God as the God of his fathers rather than his God. And uh, so he would say, you know, the God of Isaac, that's who I'm sacrificing to, and Beersheba and all. And, and so it was, um, it was hard for, for Jacob. His days were few compared to his grandfather and his father. And it says they were evil. His days were evil. Sometimes, if, you know, an event like losing a child like that um, makes the rest of your life a little emptier than it was supposed to be, right? It's, uh, it was never supposed to be like that. You're never supposed to, you know, have your kids die before you do. And uh, that's, it's a difficult thing, I can't imagine. Um, and we know people who have struggled with that and gone through that, and it's something that I'm sure only they can understand. It's a kind of a hurt that just... Uh, well, it, your life isn't what it was supposed to be. There's something missing. Um, but the word evil there means tarnished. It's stained. It's not what it was supposed to be. It's a little bit off of what it was supposed to be, and it's grievous. Remember how it was, it was to bring his grieve, grievous head down to the grave because Joseph, and, and then they threatened to take Benjamin, and as such, you know, he thought he would end up going to his grave just grieved. And... Uh, you know, he didn't live as long as Abraham or Isaac, but now he sees Joseph, and he blesses Pharaoh, even though his days were few and evil. Now he finally sees him, and he, want, he, he doesn't want to, but he can die. He says, now I can die. Let me go, let me die, because I've seen Joseph. I've seen your face. If you want to turn to Hebrews 7, just, just a real quick thing. Um, in context... Hebrews 7 is about Melchizedek. And back when we were going through the life of Abraham, studying in, earlier in Genesis, we studied this in uh, Hebrews because of Melchizedek. And, and uh, um, I believe we rightly show that uh, Melchizedek was indeed Jesus Christ and what they call a Christophanes in the Old Testament where Jesus appears. And, um, but there's something said here um, in verse 7, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is always blessed by the better or by the greater. And just with that verse uh, alone, what happened with Pharaoh and Jacob, Jacob was just the shepherd. He just had a bunch of kids and, and all his grandkids and, and a bunch of animals and all that. Pharaoh's king of Egypt. You know, he has all this. And, uh, but he's the one that blesses Pharaoh. And in God's eyes, and I think because of how Joseph came from Jacob and had saved Egypt, I think Pharaoh knew it. Pharaoh knew the greater here is blessing uh, the lesser. And Jacob indeed was the greater one in that. And he blessed him when he, sh when he saw him, and he blessed him when he went out from his presence. And so just a, um, a little side note on, on truly, it's, it's uh, the way, same way that Melchizedek, blessed 
Abraham, Melchizedek, Jesus Christ was the greater. And Abraham gave him tithes, right? 10% of all, tithes of all of his uh, belongings. You know, um, you know, Pharaoh is blessed by Jacob, uh, but he's most certainly blessed by Joseph. And by interpreting his dream, by managing the famine, you know, saving his land, saving his country, saving the lives and preserving the lives of the Egyptians, and then, again, what, what his brothers intended for evil, God intended for good, and he saves his family too. Um, you know, Jacob tells Pharaoh uh, that his fathers were sojourners, and the days of his pilgrimage were short. Um, we may have talked about it before, but we have these examples in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob about being pilgrims, about being sojourners. Jacob was chosen by God over Esau. He was elect to receive the blessing and the birthright. But he was also a sojourner and a pilgrim all of his days. If you want to turn to First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1 and halfway through chapter 2, Peter writes his first letter. He opens it up by calling them pilgrims. I guess I'm just going to read it through um, chapter and a half. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion or the diaspora in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, we serve an invisible God, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And of this salvation, the prophets inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating, when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it is revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desired to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who is without partiality, judges according to each one's work, will conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, 
knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, will love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And now this is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. Well then, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to you who are disobedient, the stone which the rebuilders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the stole, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be by your good works which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. In verse 1, he writes, he calls them pilgrims. Verse 2 talks about how God foreknew us and sanctifies us by his Holy Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this sprinkling of the blood, that's the foundation for everything for us. The blood of the Lamb that's sprinkled on us, that's what saves us, that's what cleans us, that's what cleanses us, that's what allows us, because he died for us, that we can live forever. Our sins are washed away. Verses 3 through 9, he talks about the hope that's in the resurrection because of his mercy on us. And our sins are washed away by his death in our place. And his power that it took to raise him from the dead, that same power, he says there, it keeps us for salvation. Even though we are still here, even though we still suffer trials, it's to provide a genuineness. It's to prove out a genuineness for our faith. And in verses 13 through 25, you know, we, he talks about just living separate, you know, holy lives. I'm holy, 
live holy because he's holy. Be holy because God is holy. He says live our lives set apart to God because of that provision of his precious blood. And, you know, oftentimes he, these days you hear the word precious and it's some cute, cuddly puppy or something that's named precious. You know, that's fine. But this is not that kind of precious. This is the kind of precious that is uh, just a priceless cost that was paid by a sinless son of God for sinners and wicked and just the shame that we as sinners have. And he died, he, that precious blood. What a, you know, this is what each one of us share here together tonight. And the whole point, I think, of all of this, what he's talking about in these first, just these first two chapters, is how we treat one another. And, um, you know, he says, uh, this is why we love the brethren. We put our trust in that, in him, in that shed blood for our glorious future. Each one of us, all of us together and what's the thing he says well let that you know this is why we love the brethren and um, you know so we have that joy inexpressible but look at what we share and look at where we're going to be for all eternity together and and so uh, it's hard living in this world to trust anyone really and uh, just seeing what people do to each other in this world it, it's not easy for us to just begin to trust people there's always you're thinking oh and you know even believers will let you down but that's not the issue the issue is because we are going to be with each other and with him through all eternity because of that precious blood you know why not love the brethren look at what it says in chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 it says lay aside all malice and spite deceit and lies hypocrisy and pride and lousy talk, you know, just speech. Um, you know, we are his house. He talks about, you know, being the chief cornerstone. And we are living stones being built up, uh, being built together, chosen together in him. We are all whom God chose to live in eternity together. We all receive new bodies, praise the Lord, without corruption. We remember sin no more. And, uh, you know, we look around at each other today and we're going, well, I, you know, I kind of know that you kind of blew it the other day and, you know, or whatever, and by something, some joke that we weren't supposed to tell or something. And I'm not talking evil things. I'm just saying maybe sarcastic or something like that. But, you know, we, we can see the flaws in each other here and now. But there will be lives that are uh, bodies that are incorruptible, lives that are lived in the presence of God. Sin will be no more. And we'll be, this world will be remembered and the corruption of this world will be remembered no more. And then he goes on after this. Um, you know, how are we supposed to look at this world? And without reading all of it, he goes into the next few chapters talking about uh, as pilgrims, as sojourners. And um, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But to bring along those that hear the gospel and join with us and uh, being bound for glory. He goes through the rest of the letter just talking about the reality that we have living here as sojourners and the reality that, you know, the Israelites lived in, in Egypt where the picture of Egypt being the type of the world that they come out of will be the same for us but, um, before we got saved. But as we here live here as believers in the rest of First Peter, he talks about regarding government, employment, marriage, suffering wrong, 
how to dwell together as a body of believers, submitting to God and resisting the devil. But what's the result and the outcome after sojourning here for a time? And that's chapter 5 of 1 Peter, just verses 10 and 11. We sojourn here. We're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. Love not the world. The world's an enemy of God. But because we're sojourners, we're pilgrims just passing through on the other side of it. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, perfect, or to perfect, there is to render to adjust, to frame it out so it fits, so it's put in order the way it's supposed to be, to make it complete. The word establish, the outcome for our sojourning here, is to establish us, to make us stable, to place firmly, to set in place and fasten it down. In other words, it's not going to rock and teeter and, and be something that you're afraid to trust. Um, the outcome of our sojourning here is to strengthen us, to make our soul strong. Um, and then finally, to settle. That word's interesting. It doesn't, it's not what you might think it is. It literally means foundation. And that the most solid footing for all this stuff to be built on. To settle us first. And to settle and then perfect and render and build everything out the way it's meant to be. And then he says, who does this? Well, the God of all grace does this. How are we going to get anywhere in our walks without understanding God's grace? He was so gracious to us. And how do we walk in grace? Well, be gracious to those around you. You know, that's how we, how we understand. That's how we grow in grace. And he called us, and we responded to that grace. And for his grace towards us, he gets all the glory and dominion forever and ever. We can do the things that we do because he's been gracious to us. But he gets all the glory. Um, it's interesting, verse uh, back in Genesis, looking at um, the rest of 47, it's almost, it's almost, it almost fits too well with the days that we're living in. You know, they settle in Ramses. Uh, it's, the Lord blesses them there. It's the best land of Goshen. And for Joseph's sake, Pharaoh gives them that land. But the famine costs everybody, the Canaanites, the Egyptians, all their money. Joseph gathers all the money, gives it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's got all the money. Famine costs all their livestock, and they bring their livestock to Joseph. Joseph gathers all the livestock, gives it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's got all their livestock. Then finally, another year goes by, and they have nothing but themselves and their land. And so they give Joseph their own lives, their own souls, and their land to make them servants, to be servants for Pharaoh, that he would give them seed and that he would, then they would be able to work the land, but it would be Pharaoh's land. Joseph gives all the land and all these people to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has everything. Joseph went to Egypt and preserved life. Uh, God, or the brothers meant it for evil, um, but God meant it for good. 
And now Joseph turns and gives everything that uh, belonged to everybody in Canaan and Egypt and gives it to Pharaoh. Then he goes on to gather the people into cities, except for the priests. But Israel goes into Goshen, and it says they acquire property, they're fruitful, they grow numerous, and 17 more years Joseph, or I'm sorry, Jacob lives in Egypt. Now, Jacob requires Joseph return with him back to Canaan, back to the land of uh, in Mamre there, and uh, to be buried with his fathers. And so that was his request of Joseph, and Joseph swore by it. Now, obviously, Joseph passed on too 400 years later, though, when they did come out of Egypt, they did take Jacob's bones and Joseph, and they took them back. And in fact, there's a pretty reliable area there in Israel to this day where believed to be Jacob's tomb, and another one, uh, I believe, Joseph as well, but I'm not sure. Anyway, Jacob, for sure, you can, you can visit it. I don't know if it's an A-site or not. They call them A-sites when it's the real thing. And sometimes it's, you know, if it's they taking you to the upper room where they had the Last Supper, that's not going to be an A-site because none of the upper rooms that were around back then are probably still up in the upper rooms. They're long gone. But um, anyway, what Joseph's brothers intended for evil, God intended and he used for good to preserve life. And Joseph feared God and God used him to provide for the children of Israel to multiply and grow into this great nation and beyond what the Egyptians would be able to handle as we're going to be able to see when we get into Exodus in a couple of weeks if the Lord tarries. But you can't help but realize the, the similarity with the days that we're living in. Now, obviously, Joseph feared God and God used him for, for, uh, to preserve life. I believe God is using what's going on these days to preserve life also. It's getting bad, what many, many people are doing for evil upon us. Um, one day, when the earth is ripe for judgment, you know, God's going to judge. But prior to that, he's going to take us out. And um, we can get into that. But um, So these days, they're gathering up the money. You're seeing it all over the place, the corruption, the companies that are going bankrupt, and nobody gets any dime out of their investment if they're, they're bankrupt. It's gone. There's nothing left. Um, the taxes, the you know, paying for things that other people should have been taking care of, paying for people who don't want to take care of themselves end up getting paid for by others. Um, all over the world, things get sent, you know, millions and billions even, uh, get sent to places, and much of it is, is just goes into the woodwork because it's, it's such a corrupt system. And uh, we have no idea if it were to all be exposed. Um, they're gathering up the money. They're gathering up the livestock. The big money guys are buying all the farmland or much of the farmland across America. Uh, Monsanto, you got corn? Well, try and plant that corn. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but the corn that you get these days, a farmer can't take that corn and go plant that corn and have it grow a crop. It's genetically modified so that it has to be every year get more corn from these guys because it's been modified so that it will not reproduce corn that will reproduce itself one after the next. And so if something were to happen to the diesel, like we heard about, 
and there's shortages in diesel. Something, there's a hiccup in the supply chain uh, somewhere along the line. All of a sudden, there's no seed. One year away. We got a guy that comes to our fellowship here, works at one of the local grocery stores, asked him one time, if the truck stopped running, how many days? Well, we got warehouses, and the guys figure about five days before everything's gone. That's all it takes is five days. And famine. Um, but you talk to anybody else, as soon as they hear that there's not going to be food, there won't be any food left in them stores that night. People are going to be running on everything. And uh, that's, how, that's how close things are because of the way our society has gone. Everything is supply chain. It's, it's called just in time. In other words, we're going to make something just in time for you to get it because we don't have any place to keep it till then. So just in time, you'll get that what you need. So therefore, if something happens with the supply, it's not going to be there and it won't be in time and there won't be anything left. In the name of global climate crisis, they're using eugenics and sterilization and abortion and euthanasia to you know, kill millions of lives. They're bringing all the world into subjection of global organizations such as the World Health Organization, the UN, the World Economic Forum, and ultimately a global government, which the Bible prophesies will bring a global leader, the Antichrist. So we're only one little hiccup away from being in that, those kind of desperate straits that, well, bring us your money. Got no more money. Well, bring us your animals. Well, we got no more animals. Well, bring us, and we're, we live in the city already, so, you know, some of us have animals. But um, for the most part, uh, the rest of us, we're, we're already shot at that point. Well, then, bring us your lives and your land, and you'll be our servants. Um, how close are we? They mean it for evil. Satan means it for evil. But God is allowing this Christ-rejecting world to ripen for judgment. And this time, the promised land is going to be the eternal kingdom of our loving, gracious, and merciful God. God's about to use all this to preserve life because people are going to be hopeless. They've been putting their hope in all these things. And the, you know, we have the ultimate hope. If they're honest, they'll see that this world doesn't satisfy all these organizations of men are basically bringing them into slavery like we're talking about. All of a sudden, they have nothing. Isn't that what they're saying? What was the guy's name? Uh, this World Economic Forum is Klaus Schwab and what's his Harari? I don't know how to pronounce his name. You will have nothing and you will like it. I don't know. As a believer, I tend to think, well, if that means I get to go home, then yes. <laughs> but uh, that's what they're saying. And that's the slavery that they're bringing. You know, you'll get what we give you, and you'll be happy. Well, obviously, we know throughout world history that's never been the case. That's when people begin to kill people. That's when people begin to go to war. But um, these days, it's different. These days, there's microphones everywhere. There's cameras everywhere. There's police and surveillance of all kinds everywhere. There's organizations that... Bad guys don't go to jail. Good guys do. Um, it's a, it, you know, God's about to use this all because he's coming for us. He will return. We will meet him in the air. This time, the promised land is his kingdom. And, um, you know, Joseph went down before his family to preserve life. 
and they had no idea the famine was coming, really, when he did go. They threw him in the well, and they're in the pit, and, and he goes into slavery. Um, they didn't know there was a famine coming. Well, Jesus went before us. And, uh, you know, he went and he died, but he rose again so that we don't have to uh, remain dead. We will be, if we die or if we get raptured, we'll be with him. He went before us so that we don't have to uh, worry about death and the grave having any power over us. And he rose to eternal life. And so will all who come to him for salvation. Because what's Ephesians say? In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the richness of his grace. Amen. So Joseph went down prepared a place and Jesus went to prepare a place for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. And Lord, we just do want more than anything to be all that you've called us to be, um, to be able to trust you and your Holy Spirit to work in us. And again, uh, throughout scriptures, you tell us the love of the brethren. And uh, Lord, to, to just understand that these are the ones that you chose. All of us here are the ones you chose. All of us in the world that belong to you. These are the ones that you chose to be with you for all eternity and to show the love of the brethren to the world. And so, Father, I pray you'd continue to work that in us and to, to just set our hearts and minds on the needs of others and, and to let the sounds of self just grow fade and grow, uh, fade and grow dim. And so, Lord, we just ask for that. We, we trust that you will continue to work in us so that you know, we do bring glory to your name and, and we do show your love to the world. And uh, we do pray that you'd come quickly, Lord, and in the meantime, draw those to yourself that you still would see entering into your kingdom. For, Lord, you desire none would perish. And so please go with us in this uh, week ahead. And, and uh, in Jesus' name, amen.